Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 146. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to talk about a recent training event we did that involved a USPSA-style practical pistol stage at night with decision-making targets and lights and things. Uh, yeah, lots of lessons learned. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we're going to run through some of those along with um, what we did. Yeah, guys. Uh, um, I, I, to break down the stage, is, is that one of the things? Is that like open source from from Pranka, or is that somebody else? Or yeah, I mean, honestly, like this is it was a USPSA stage that in the daylight with non decision making targets would probably take somebody twenty seconds. If 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 yeah um, yeah. The general idea for what we did, um, one of our the guys we trains with has trained with Matt Pranka and X-Ray Alpha at least once, if not a couple times. Yeah. And this is one of the, the evolutions in that class. Um, but it's kind of a put everything together. Yeah. Um, you got to do more than just the shooting. Um, and this involves, you know, movement, um, angles, use of terrain okay. effectively. Yeah. And then, you know, layering in the shoot, no shoot targets to make people think a little bit more than just... Sure. There's a target. Put put rounds into it. So basically, the way the array was set up, you had a you had two lines of barrels and a wall, um, kind of parallelish to the backstop. Yeah. Um, at, at one end, you had a fault line on the ground, which was we used just a chunk of wood, a piece of wood, four by four, something like that. Um, and you started off facing the barrels, facing downrange, and facing a barrel, so you couldn't see any of the targets. And and on the beep or on the command, you stepped to your left and scanned for a target. Um, and there might've been one, two or three targets, depending on how far you leaned over, et cetera. And you were, and again, you're doing this all with a, uh, it, we ran the first iteration with a handheld flashlight starting out. You had to ID a target, a shoot target before you could draw your gun. Um, and, and simulating, not knowing exactly what the hell is going on. You can't just draw your gun and point your gun with a light on it at everything in the world until you know that something needs a gun pointed at it. And generally you can't point a gun at it unless it needs shot. So, um, kind of playing by actual real world adulting rules. Which always sucks, but yeah. it was you know it's a great way to train. Um, it, it, from there, you moved to your right, the way this happened to be set up across the range, parallel to the backstop, to an area that had basically a large window um, with a barrel in the middle of that window that stuck in a little bit, and two fault lines that stuck in a little bit, and kind of a V toward downrange. And you would, in, in to, as you moved toward it, you could ID targets, and you were pieing a corner as you moved whether you liked it or not because you got closer to a fairly large opening and then there was a target array within that as well um, some targets left and right some targets down range etc in an arc that you had to cover and clear plus some visual obstructions that didn't let you see some other things that were there and then finally once you dealt with those you had to move down you had to move laterally laterally across the range further to your right to a window in the and we used barrels as the wall so they were eight feet tall yeah. um, so you couldn't cheat and see through them or around them or whatever you had to go and look and actually pie a corner or work a corner multiple corners in this case um, and then once you got down to the window at the end you had a couple more targets to engage and then finally a fault line at the end at the far end kind of like the one you started at yeah. that made you reach out past and engage a stop it was a small steel plate a little six inch steel plate that hit a couple times um, so that, that was like the kind of the pattern of movement through it. Um, but that really wasn't the interesting part. The interesting part was how the targets were laid out, what your options were and how things presented themselves. Um, and so correct me when I say this, but the, as a USPSA stage, this would just be run and shoot everything you see. The yeah. way we set it up, it was, it was set up as a try not to expose yourself to more than one bad guy at a time. Understanding that sometimes the bad guy gets a vote in this. 
that if two bad guys jump out from opposite ends of cover, wow, it sucks to be you. Um, but there's a reality check that in this particular scenario, the way the stage was set up, you could move through it and only expose yourself to one bad guy at a time because you would have serviced the other ones that would have been visible right. had you been working cover appropriately. So for so in that case, you were slowing down. It wasn't a USPSA run and gun. It was a work your way through this, clear everything, try to stay as safe as you can, but still move with alacrity. The other thing you had to do is the targets. Um, we took just standard USPSA backers and put small pieces of uh, Velcro on them and then put cards. In this case, they were envelopes, yeah. whatever. Um, those envelopes had numbers on them, single-digit numbers, nothing crazy complicated. Um, but if your numbers, in this case, added up to an odd, then that was a shoot target. If your numbers added up to an even, then it was a no-shoot target. If there were no numbers on the target, it was a no-shoot target. Um, and then there were a couple steel plates interspersed that had to have two hits put on them as well. Yeah, always kill the robots. Always kill the robots, every time. Roombas scare the shit out of me. I do not like Roombas. Cats don't like them either. There's a reason, although I don't trust cats. Maybe I should like Roombas. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I just got kind of Sun Tzu there, didn't I? Okay, cool. Um, so anyway, the, the intent, you know, just to kind of was to ID a target, get your gun out, address the target, light up targets tactically, light up the environment t in a tactically sound fashion, um, not just leave your light on and go for a walk kind of deal. Um, and and to try and move through things like it mattered that you got to the other end. There was something at the other end you were trying to get to. Um, yeah, not just take 17 minutes to clear it. Yeah, not quite full dynamic, like yeah. hostage rescue speed. No. But also not a, we're going to take two hours deliberate mode either. Exactly. Um, and so understanding that this creates a number, a number of artificial influences on what you're doing, it's a drill. It's a drill. It's just a big, long drill with a lot of targets that changes each time you run it. Um, so... Uh, the things that we learned about this, so there were a number of things to be learned with this, um, and, and so we're going to kind of run through those things. That's probably more the lesson was, the lesson was not the array or the or uh, how things were set up necessarily as it was the, the minutia of the targets making decisions, etc. Yeah, so. the, the real focus of this is that it is a big, long visual drill Yep. Uh, with a lot of processing, um, both on, you know, the call it the terrain of the environment. Yep. So where we need to go, where we can be. Uh, there were intermediate barriers and things inside some of the... Yeah, know, there were the visual barriers were, Yeah, were inside so the array. Yeah, downrange. Depending on where you lit things up from, you actually created shadows that hit other things. Covered up other things. And then there yeah. were a lot of... Most of the targets, uh, you could only see from one particular position. Yep. Uh, some of the targets you could see from a couple positions, but on the overall, not, not very like many. You, yeah. you had to be, you kind of had to put yourself in the right place to see everything. Yeah. Uh, and with it being dark, with no, really no ambient light. None. Uh, yeah, it was it was very easy to get, actually get lost, kind of in the stage. Yeah. And leave things behind. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so as, as we were working our way through this, um, there, there, a, a couple conversations came up and things we'll talk about down the road. Um, I think probably the single most important tool that came out of all this, you would think it would be a flashlight, but it was actually a hair tie. <laughs> so, um, it, it, we, we got a great tip, uh, from one of our local LEOs, um, about, uh, about uses for hair ties. Uh, there, there are myriad and sundry outstanding uses listed and postulated that night 
but the number one among them was that you could use a simple hair tie on the clip of your flashlight to maintain control of your flashlight so your handheld light could stay with you throughout the scenario. Um, there are other things that, you know, we can talk about yeah. some of those other uses if you want to stop in the shop sometime. So pretty much yeah. everybody on that initial run, uh, we just dropped our flashlights yep. on the ground and left them. Yep. Uh, and transition to the yep. weapon light. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we also ran into, with the flashlight aspect of that, um, we've, we've got uh, one gentleman who shoots with us who has a, a, a pretty significant history going back a ways for light usage. Um, all the way back to Strategos International classes with Ken Good. And those of you who know, uh, Ken Good was a former Navy SEAL. Uh, Strategos was a company that he formed that was uh, allied with Surefire to some extent to teach low light training, low light use of lights um, that, that came out of white light use from the team's guys on boats and stuff like that in truly dark, nasty environments. And, and the, so the principles uh, or strategies of use of white light or something like that, I could probably look it up, but it's Ken Good is the name. If you Google it, you'll find it. Um, this guy had been through a couple of schools with Ken and there's a lot of flashy, flashy, the light, a lot of light movement to disorient the bad guy, to make it difficult to pin down where you are. Um, and as well to light up the scene and let you know what was going on. And it was a strategy that was employed largely around guns without lights mounted to them. Um, so he was using that technique. That was interesting to see because that's a little bit out of the Wayback Machine that I think still seemed fairly functional because as we're watching him do it and we're all going, what in the world? Um, we're all also turning our heads away because it was like, holy crap, that is blinding. It's going to give me a seizure or something like that. Um, so some of those old school techniques popped up with this, as well as the use of flashlights on guns. Um, and I think we saw some people use flashlights really well on guns, and we saw some people use flashlights not so well on guns. Um, from an understanding of if you're not actively searching with the light, it should probably be off, not giving away your position. But at the same time, you don't want to give up your ability to see what's going on as you're moving. So trying to weigh those things out and work corners and cover appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, so and when I say inappropriate use of lights, every once in a while, somebody would do something like if, if you knew you were changing positions, like looking from, say, around the end of a piece of cover to look down a hallway. Um, as you make that transition from looking one way to the other, you might flick the light off so you're not punching it into the wall right in front of you. And then letting a, giving a bad guy a reference based on an arc of movement of light the human eye is really good at figuring out where things were, just like the human eyes are really good at hearing where things are auditorially. Um, same kind of conversation. So as you're moving, if you're making a sweeping movement with the gun and you're not actually searching with it and you're in a relatively confined area, turn the light off, move, turn it back on. Um, you know, so you're not printing to the bad guy, hey, this is where I'm headed or where I'm going. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, we also had a couple guys who, who in, in this particular course of fire, there were actually enough targets and enough rounds on each target that a lot of guys had to reload. Um, and the lights stayed on during reloads a couple times. And then a lot of people got, you know, laughed at, kicked gravel at, whatever, you know, whatever it is we do to modify behavior, et cetera. Um, and, and most everyone figured out that, Hey, if I'm going for the reload, turn the damn light off, unless I'm on something, unless I'm looking at a target and holding yeah. it and issuing commands or something like that, which in our case, most of us are civilians, that wasn't really happening. So anything light usage wise that stuck out. Yeah, the, the Stratagos um, methods work really well in a very deliberate, slow search. Yeah. Um, but it is not by any means a fast method of doing things. Truly not dynamic. And I suppose you might be able to train somebody to push that into dynamic use somehow, even with just flashing of the light. But I do think it's a technique that you would have to dedicate a boatload of time and not in time and varied terrain. You couldn't just do it in your house over and over and yeah. over again and think you had a routine down. 
Um, it, it, cause if as soon as you step someplace else, how you use the light may change a little bit. Um, the other thing I noticed with that technique and I don't, and I don't know John's history with that technique. I, I know it's not recent training. I don't, I do think that's relevant. I don't think that it's recent. Um, I, I don't know if there was ever any use of that technique to bounce like light off of ceilings and stuff like that. I know that the movement does that to some extent, but I didn't see an intentional aspect of changing where you were pointing the yeah. light. And well, for us, it wouldn't have worked because we're outside right. anyway. And so. timeline wise, that training comes out of yeah. when you know, a 60 lumen um, incandescent bulb was state of the art. Yeah. So, yep. you know, old school. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah the old school tools, um, a little bit but different lot, world back then. Like punching a lot less light into spaces and things. Exactly. Um, with that level of technology. Yeah. And so, and, and I think if you go take that now to a much brighter light, that changes that conversation dramatically. Um, I, and, and the efficacy of flashing that light around changes a little bit too. That's why I'd be kind of curious to see how you punch that stuff out and where you go with that. Um, especially going with a better tool, you know? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else to add specifically to the light aspect of it? Uh, with the lights, you know, seeing targets, uh, processing them long enough to decide what you needed to do mm -hmm. before you moved on to the next one yeah. um, was really important. Yeah. So a bunch of guys, you know, were, they'd see a target, kind of get a flash picture of it, either interpreted it wrong and shot it when it didn't need shot yeah or didn't necessarily see everything on the target and moved past it mm -hmm. and then kind of expose themselves to get shot in the back yeah and the, and definitely the, the array lent itself to that which i think is probably part of the intent of the design of that array was to create situations where if you didn't use the light properly and understand that when you have intermediate barriers and that intermediate barrier could be something like you know, up at Alliance, there's like there's like kitchen walls and, and couches in the middle yeah. of rooms and stuff like that. And you don't realize how much of a shadow, you don't realize how deep that shadow is when you punch a very bright light over something like that. You think you've seen all around it when somebody literally could be laying on the gravel in front of it and you wouldn't know they were there because the depth of the shadow created by it or the contrast created by yeah. that much light. So it's pretty interesting to see. I was, I was really surprised at, at how many guys missed a target or two um, it, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, it wasn't just one, they missed a couple of them or just failed to engage yeah. a couple of them. Um, well, and a couple of the steel targets were mini poppers, yeah. which are only at knee height. Yeah. And those somewhat frequently got left behind. And there's that, um, that's people were scanning right over top of them. And it also leads to a conversation as well, um, around position too. Um, you know, some of the guys there's, there's this, again, a little bit of a mentality around use of cover and staying way back off of cover. Um, and while I get, you know, that their distance is your friend, but not getting into, not getting into like one of those windows far enough to actually see what was going on around it and clear it meant you weren't clearing it. It meant you were leaving space unseen because you were trying to keep distance. And sometimes you, sometimes, you know, being in that environment is a dangerous thing. And sometimes you, you have to do things that aren't, nothing's ever going to be as safe as just staying at home in bed. Right. That could kill you too. That could kill you too. So, and so there's this reality check that, you know, some of the guys were trying to stay off of cover because that's something that's preached. But in this case, you you have to get in close enough thing. You have to get as close enough to something to see what's around it as you need to get to it. And that didn't happen a number of times. And I do think to some extent that was part of the reason some of the guys didn't see the things they didn't see is because they weren't willing to step into the hole or in this, the doorway, step into the funnel, yeah. step into the window because you've been preached not to. But at some point you have to or you can't clear it. Yep. So, um, so that those were some interesting lessons learned from playing around with this stuff. 
Um, you know, guys, we, we spend, you know, months a year uh, doing some low light stuff for, you know, a few hours a week. Um, and and it's, it's, it's always interesting to me the lessons that pop up as soon as you start getting into not just shooting things, but having to see things and make decisions on them. Um, the, the low light world changes a whole bunch when it gets a little more real. Uh, just shooting targets in the dark is pretty easy. Yeah. So um, there was something that popped up in my feeble little mouse brain about light usage uh, that has that has eluded me now. Dag on it. Well, I have to, I guess I'll have to come back to it yeah, if it, if we'll it pops back, back up. One yeah. of the other things to mention, you know, with the kind of the target array we had set up, we had everything from, and honestly, targets, you know, 180 degrees opposed to each other. Yep. If you looked at it from overhead, um, we're very fortunate. We've got access to a range where we can kind of set things up like that safely. Yep. Um, and then also, you know, targets that were anywhere from about three yards away from you when you engage them uh -huh. out to like 20 yards if you took the long hallway shot when you first had yep. it. Yeah. Uh, so it really did you know, challenge you know, not only your shooting, but your ability to do observation yeah. um, quickly, you know, and kind of at distance too. Yeah, and I will say that again, you know, the, the, the group of studs that we train with, God bless them, um, more more tier one than peer one, or more peer one than tier one, probably peer one. Um, but it's still a group of guys who, uh, the shooting was really good, you know, it's mostly A zone hits. If, if the misses were very, very near misses, they were, you know, within an inch of the A zone, uh, still going to have effect on target. So the shooting part of this, again, training at this level and doing some of these things are, are things where you really do where go back to needing the shooting skills and, and honestly, the searching skills as well, the movement and searching skills honestly need to be things playing in the background. It really needs to be those foundational skills that you're not thinking about it so that you can actually make those decisions. And I know a number of guys came off of running, running that and said, you know, God, I felt like that took forever. And, and to the observers watching was like, mm, no. No, you moved through it pretty good, made pretty quick decisions, you know. Um, I, I, I do think that if you, if you, the guys who struggle with the shooting a little bit also struggled with the decision making a little bit because you're, you're getting that task saturation point where you've just got too many things going on at, at once to do any of them well. Um, and we get back to, you know, the, the joke around multitasking, you know, doing two or three things half-assed all at once. Um, if those foundational skills aren't drilled in, the rest of it gets, doesn't get any easier. So yeah, yeah was that, you, that, that came to light, that came to yeah. the surface for sure. Yeah, as far as lights go, pretty much everybody is running either an X300 Ultra of some fashion, um, a TLR1HL, or mm -hmm. you were playing around with that new 7A. Yeah, the, the Streamlight uh, TLR7A Flex um, is, is turning out to be a pretty interesting little light. Um, I, I, I kinda, kinda wanted to try it because A, it's a lot smaller than the X300 from a comfort perspective or the TLR1HL from a comfort perspective. Um, so it's a lot more comfortable to have on you. Uh, I carry appendix, as most of you know. Um, so it's not nice to not have an extra couple inches of light jabbing you. Um, then 500 lumens is a lot of light. I mean, I, at one point we did a walk back a couple weeks ago, and I was back at 50 yards and was able to kind of see enough to make the shot. Um, but the big deal for me with that light is the switching. Um, Streamlight makes a really good quality light, and they kind of took some cues from Surefire on the switching um, where they, they, it's a momentary press from the rear. If you, if you tap the light, if less than a quarter second, it stays on. If you hold the switch down in a search and a sweep and then let go of it, it turns off automatically. Um, I like running the light on and off a lot when I'm searching. I don't like just hitting it and leaving it on. 
Uh, but with this light, if you were to draw the gun one-handed and wanted to just tap it and leave it on, you can do that as well. So I think the switching on this is pretty brilliant. I'm curious to see how it holds up over the cold. I'm curious to see how it holds up over rain. Um, it got rained on two weeks ago, and it got used, you know, and then, you know, of course, it was a beautiful Monday night. But, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I, I, I want to give this thing six months or so in the weather that we use them in and see how yeah. it holds up because that'll tell the tale. That'll tell the tale. I've had a couple lights perform really well but not hold up. Yeah. So this, I, I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah, I would say, again, most, I'd say probably two-thirds of us now mm-hmm. at least are running a, a red dot on the pistol, and that seemed to be another game changer for a lot of people. Yeah, I miss my dot. It makes me sad. So um, I need to get yeah. my dot back even on. The, even the guys that are new to red dots or green dots in some yeah. cases. dots, reflex. Uh, but running, running dots on handguns. Uh, picked it up, like had no problem going to work with it almost immediately. Yeah, and I, and again, a, a, a good reminder of if you have good foundational firearm skills, uh, putting a light on the gun, it, it may slow you down a skosh, but it's not going to slow you down much. And I do think the advantages that you get, especially at any kind of distance, even if you're already a really good shot. I mean, one of, you know, one of our guys was running a dot for the first time um, in, in a low light environment. He'd gone out, zeroed it, played around with it, done some dry fire, etc., but it was really the first run with it, um, you know, out, out in a training environment in, in the pseudo real world, as it were. Um, and he's a really, really good shot. And had, I don't think had really any issues at all, uh, because if you've got good foundational skills with grip, you know, body kinesthetics and body alignment, and then you can still manage the trigger and grip the gun, it's probably going to go where you need it to go. You're just using a different modali- modality to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The dots, I still think the dots the way to go. I, I, I have had enough of proving to myself again that I can shoot iron sights. I made the hits. I want to know what my dots are. So I'm just cheap and lazy and can't seem to make it work. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think of what else came out of that. Um, movement. Again, most of the guys that have done a lot of work around structures and stuff like that, the movement was sound. The movement was solid. Um, again, our, our gentleman who's, who's running some of the older techniques, um, still has good sound search techniques, etc. cetera. Um, a, a little bit slower, but you know, in his world, um, it was probably just him working a search and the yeah. reality check is until there's a reason to go fast, there's no reason to go fast. Um, some, of the, some of the newer guys, you know, maybe we're crowding things a little bit or getting up tight in things a little bit, um, but I still just come back to the task saturation aspect of it, um, the decision-making aspect of it. If you haven't drilled in the other skills, that that becomes a lot harder than I think it needs to be. Yeah, one other thing to note, um, between every shooter run, uh, the numbers got moved around. Yep. So even though the targets were in the same place, nobody ever shot the truly the same array. True. Uh, twice in a row, uh, yep. which made it almost impossible to game for the shooter. Uh, yeah. You know, somebody couldn't listen to what the person previously did and then kind of mimic what was going on just by hearing it. Yeah. They actually had to do the visual processing every run. And I also think there's enough targets in that array. You'd have to be a freaking, you know, a one hell of a blackjack player, like winning money in Vegas to remember what's where kind of thing in that. I know I'm not that bright, but, but I do agree that having it changed up every time lent the mentality of going into a blind. You, yeah. you had to assume you're going into a blind. Um, we, we did run this uh, one time with where we were considering the steel targets because the robots were still bad guys. But instead of going through, you you, you knew going in as a, a real-world scenario, the vast majority of the time it's one bad guy that needs put down. Uh, we did run this one time for everybody. 
where you had one target. You knew you were going to the bad guy. You were literally going to the sound of the guns to take care of a bad guy um, to speed up the processing aspect of it so that it wasn't confusion around, is this a slow search or is this a, di a dynamic search or dynamic movement? Um, and saying that, you know, we've got a bad guy, you're going to go to that bad guy and stop him from doing whatever he's doing. And, and so you changed everybody's mentality on how it was being handled. Um, and that was pretty interesting too, to see everybody kind of shift gears on that and go, okay, I don't need to shoot that. I don't need to shoot that. I don't need boom, 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 boom. Okay, cool. Done. Finish the search. Yeah. Um, and, and that aspect of it was a good little twist to throw in, especially if you're looking at a, you know, a professional end user mentality, law enforcement, et cetera. Your, your search may be, hey, we got an alarm drop call. We got to go clear this building. Uh, we don't know if there, we don't think there's anything there. We don't know if there's anything there, uh, but we don't want to be complacent. And, but we're also not in a hurry versus something's popping off right now and we got to get to it. But I also don't want to run past an open doorway. So it's kind of cool to throw that twist yeah. into it. And I thought that was a really good addition. Um, do we want to talk anything else to add just generically to that? Do we want to cover like you asked for commentary from from two of our guys at the end? Do we want to talk about that at all? I think um, we covered most okay. of Yeah, most I think we did like, too. I think we integrated that. But what that discussion led to. Uh, one thing I would caution, you know, if you if you are not a trained RSO at like the USPSA level, and even that I think would be questionable in this case. Yeah. Um, this is not an evolution you want to try at the farm or at the land. No. Um, you know, we're, when you start building these kind of structures, um, it is easy for a real person to get left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be a very bad event. Um, yes. in this case, I was the one running the timer. Yeah. So every single time, you know, we were clearing, um, what was, what was downrange, um, before we, we engaged the shooter. Yeah, at, as to process the, the stage. Yes, as the RSO, you're responsible to walk last out. Yep, as the RSO, you're responsible to be the guy who walks from the backstop um, back, clearing everything before you run each guy, and then you also do a head count too. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is something that we have a lot of experience doing, um, and it's still something that makes me nervous. It makes me, you know, hey, we want to make sure we've got our, our our TTPs for the training aspect of this in place for sure. Um, and I can also tell you that professionals have screwed this up. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw Sonny Bazookas under the bus. Sonny's yeah. a trainer, uh, a, a former Russian SF dude, um, legit freaking squared away guy. Um, and, and at one point did one last run in the shoot house, but somebody was still taping targets or moving stuff around and went in and shot a dude. Um, you know, thank God it was like one of those Russian blooming flower of death spin around ballet shot things. And it wasn't a great hit. Um, but just kind of the wake up call of the, it really, you have to have tactic or you have to have techniques and procedures in place to make sure every flip in time that you've cleared that range thoroughly, um, you know where all your people are at and you've not just double checked, but triple checked to make sure everybody's where they need to be. And that also requires setting up the range so that you've got a staging area for everybody to be in, to count them in. So people aren't just kind of milling around um, and understanding all those things. Uh, these are, these are definitely some big boy rules things um, and not to be taken lightly. If you've not done anything like this, you can go to Alliance uh, PD, their shoot house. Uh, they do low light classes and stuff like that after you've gotten in the game with them. TDI down in Southern Ohio does low light classes, I think like in four or five or six, maybe it's just six. And one of those three or maybe more than that, you do some, some force on force stuff and some low light stuff and some shoot house stuff. Um, avail yourself of the opportunity to have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing, teach you how to do it, and then you can see how they do it. And then again, if you're comfortable with it at that point, if the risk meet the rewards for you, bring it back to your tribe and do that. If not, do it by yourself.
Yeah. You know, find some place where you can do airsoft in a low light environment, or you can do dry fire movement in a low light environment, then practice some of these same searching techniques. The only problem is it's really hard to trick yourself. You know, if you go through, if you put up enough targets, I guess, that are shoots, no shoots, and figure it out, then I guess maybe you could trick yourself. Yeah. It would only take two for me. That's all I can remember. Um, but, you know, kick those things around, too. There might be some other ways you can do this that are less lethal um, and at home, but good, good evolution for sure, though. Yeah, and along with that, you're getting professional instruction in how to move around corners, clear yep. structures. Yep. Um, you know, all how all of that works is really important. How to use a light. How to use a light. Yep. Um, how to search and scan appropriately, uh, because it is, it is several of our guys that are kind of newer to this found out it is really easy to get sucked in and get all of a sudden engaged from everywhere at the same time uh, yeah. by moving literally two steps further than they needed to. Yeah, and and then I'd say in that array, it wasn't even two steps a couple of times if you didn't do that. Um, and and a lot of times they didn't realize it till it was all over. It's like, hey, let's go back and walk this. Let's go back and slow walk this. Hey, look here now. Now actually look around. Take a moment while you're you know you're not trying not to screw up and go. Oh crap! Yeah, there we are. So there was learning occurred. Yeah, lots of learning occurred. <laughs> it was fun. So cool. Yeah. Anything else on that? I think that wraps it up pretty good. Cool. Um, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. So we've got our normal PSA at the end here. Yeah. Uh, follow us along on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. As long as we can kind of slip past the sensors at those coffee bastards uh, and not get thrown down the memory hole at the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> Thank you for throwing out commie bastards. I thought you were going to leave that out. So, yeah. 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 Zuckerberg is definitely a commie bastard and yeah. the rest of his people yeah. along with him. Uh, on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor over at silencershop.com. Uh, in addition to that, we are you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out on Fridays uh, on the website or send us an email to info at We will add you to the newsletter list and then come see us in the store. We're here Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, we are in front of the Aldi's. Um, we're directly next to Lou's Fusion Grill. And there is a lovely, delicious coffee shop at the other end of the strip. Rev. Yep, check um, them out. So go down and see them. Um, they do a great job with yep. the caffeine. Yes, they do. So. Coffee. Mm, coffee and mafango. <laughs> cool. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Cool. See you soon.